The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, good morning. If you're new, we are going through the book of Exodus. Um, So if you have a Bible, if you could turn to uh, Exodus uh, chapter 2, we're going to be looking at this uh, incredible story. Uh, We also have journals and things down the back. So if you're a note taker like me, um, that's really helpful to kind of have uh, a space where you can kind of go back and read through the notes and things that maybe God might be uh, doing in your own heart. Um, I just wanted to give us just something to think about to start with. How's your vision? How's your sight? How is your perspective? I've got a slide that will come up here. The, the, way that we, the way that we see things really matters. How we view circumstances, how we view the events and the experiences in which you and I go through in this world matters. And what's interesting about humanity, I, I like to sort of um, watch and observe a lot, and uh, it's interesting to see that you can get two people who go through two very similar circumstances, and yet they view it very, very differently. And because of the way that they see it, they respond differently. And in the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about this concept called faith. And in the Bible, there are a lot of different meanings for faith. Sometimes faith means belief. Other times it's trust, confidence in. Other times faith is to delight in and to abide in. But what ultimately we see uh, throughout the the Bible is that faith becomes a way of seeing. It becomes a filter, a lens in which despite the external experiences and circumstances, there is something that we see that is different because we have faith. Now it has often been said that faith is Um, for those who have no reason, for those who have no evidence, and so therefore it's just this sort of blind leap in the dark. That is not how the Bible ever speaks about faith. Faith is always coincided with reason and evidence. But as we have that, the people of God are supposed to live by faith, to see things by faith. For those of us who are in the room... How are we going at seeing? How is your perspective on life based on the fact that you follow King Jesus? Because if we're Christians, it should change how we see and therefore how we respond. In this story, what you will see, not just here in chapter 2 today, but throughout, is this journey of faith of how will we see this, how will we respond to this in light of the fact that we are God's people. And last week it started off with this um, restating of the promise. So Exodus 1 sort of comes off the back of Genesis and Genesis has been kind of putting out this promise over and over again. It's the promise of God to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to Joseph and now we're in Egypt And then in chapter 1, what it wants to do is it kind of wants to go, hey, but there's a lot of things coming against the promise. Can we trust the promise maker in light of all the problems? And so the the flow last week is kind of going promise, but but problem. Okay, and promise and then problem. And then it finishes 
In the very last verse of chapter 1, it finishes in, in verse 22, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And if you weren't with us last week, he tries one thing and then he doesn't work, so then he keeps escalating the stakes and he keeps going harder and higher and harder and higher. And now what he's done is not just said to a few midwives, hey, don't let the boys be born, you know, do something with them when they're born. Now he's telling his whole nation, he's recruiting an entire nation to say, if you see a young boy, you can do this horrendous thing. It's heavy. And what the end of Exodus chapter 1 does is it does what every good Netflix uh, series does. It ends with a cliffhanger. So you're like, oh, I can't sleep. I got it. Yes, next episode. And then you lean in, right? Some of you are like, yeah, we binged. It's been COVID. We've binged a lot, okay? Uh, this is just a great way of storytelling. It heightens everything. And so what you, what you finish with is like this, whoa, this is heavy. And then the question which would arise is, What's going to happen? Is anyone seeing this? Is anyone watching this? Is God seeing this? Is God watching this? Is God going to allow this? And so Pharaoh chooses this approach of trying to get rid of these Hebrew people. And he uses the Nile for a few reasons. One is it's convenient clean. The Nile runs pretty quickly. So not only with the Nile for, for the whole of the Egyptian uh, sort of population and then all the Hebrews sort of provide nourishment and everything. Everyone lives right by the river because the water is just producing so much. But it also is a sewage because it, it flows so fast. So it's not uncommon for them to put their waste in there and it would just get taken down the river. And so it's convenient. It's pretty horrible, hey? This picture is pretty horrible. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to intentionally make it horrible. It's, it's in the Bible. I've got to read it. But then also they pass on responsibility because for an Egyptian, they're, they're pantheistic. So they not only think Pharaoh is a god, they believe the Nile is a god. And therefore, the Nile, as, as a god, can give and take away life. So they're like, well, it's not our... We haven't done anything. We just gave it to the god and let god take care of it. This is how Pharaoh is treating these people. And we are left with the question of, is anybody going to do anything? And then, once again, we get introduced to a few more good women. And so we start off here and we get Moses' mother. So, verse 1, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Uh, that's an important detail for those who are reading. This is after the fact. This has already happened and now Moses is writing the story. And at this point, they don't know that Levites are kind of like the special people that give the spiritual oversight privileges for the nation. But that's going to come. So it's kind of like this... This family line is just being trickled in there so everybody knows, okay, this family's legitimate. Moses, when he's going to be born, is a legitimate overseer, spiritual leader. And then it says, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now, the hiding of the child is reasonable, right? Everyone's trying to hide the children. It's reasonable. This is the normal thing to do. Any reasonable parent would be trying to hide their children. But what is clear is that this is not just hiding children from a place of fear, but hiding her child from a place of faith. And where you make a decision from in life is just as important as the decision you make itself. 
If you make a good decision from a place that is bad, it will become a bad decision. The place from which we make decisions is just as important as the decisions we make. So I often say to many of you in the room, is this decision that you're seeking to make, is it being made from a place of faith or a place of fear? Is it being made from a place of love or a place from anger? Where you make a decision from matters. And she is making a decision from faith. Now, we have a lot of educators in our church. All of you know that every single parent looks at their child and goes, that's a fine child. There's no way my kid was involved in that problem. My kid had nothing to do with it. Obviously, it's the other people's kids because every other kid sucks. But my kid, they are like the next Jesus. They're perfect. Right? You all know this every time. You, it's like, yeah, I can't wait for that conversation with the parents because Billy is just, he's such a good boy. We don't believe that to be true, but they are blind to all of his faults. But this means, as we've just said, this means that she's seeing something. It's not just that she loves her kid like every parent does and think they're amazing. She has a sense that there is something special about this boy. And she is responding in faith. Acts 7.20 says, At this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. Hebrews 11.23 says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. So they are seeing something about this kid and they have faith that God is calling him to something special. And just think about the, the lengths of the stealth they would have had to go to to avoid all the Egyptian guards and soldiers to do this. They're not just sitting at home and it's kind of, they're, they're having to work and time things. Verse 3 says, When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Now she has started with faith. We're not supposed to read that this is now an act of fear. This is her continuing to live by faith. One of the indicators we have for that is the fact that Moses uses a word here, tabar, for the term basket. Tabar is the same word that Moses has used when writing Genesis to talk of the ark. It's the exact same word. This is the parents remembering the story of Noah and putting their child in an ark and saying, the water will not crush him and will not kill him because our God is the God of the water. The Egyptians are using the water to be an act of death, but they know that they have a God who will use water to actually preserve life. So they trust in this God, and they create this ark. They, they kind of patch it up with all sort of the bitumen and tar so water won't get in there. And the plan is to kind of put him in this basket sort of right where all the the long weeds and the long reeds are to kind of sit in there. And then hopefully throughout the day, mum can kind of come and feed and then go back and feed and go back. And so throughout the day, he's just sitting there. He's in the reeds. They're hopeful that with all of the, the the Nile rushing or the construction going around, that his crying will be kind of muffled out by the reeds. And then throughout the day, we'll feed and then at night, we'll bring him home. And so they don't know how long that's going to go for, but that's their trust. This is the hope that we will do. And so she puts him in the Nile, which has been ordered by Pharaoh to be a vehicle for death. But she trusts, has faith in God, that God, her God, the Hebrew God, is the ultimate God of the Nile, not Pharaoh and nor the Nile. 
and that he will bring life. And so she sees in a different way. And she trusts in her God. Next, we are introduced to Moses' sister and Pharaoh's daughter. How do they see? What will they see? How do they respond? Verse 4, and it says, And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. In other words, the sister, who's a bit older than him, most commentators say she's probably not in her teens yet because she would, by the age of being a teenager, she'd probably have to be one of the slaves. So she's probably nearly a teenager. And she's one of the people whose job is to kind of be on call and they've got all these secret codes of how to code when somebody's coming. And she's one of the ones who's down there constantly looking after her brother. She's seeing him and watching and seeing him and watching. And she's giving clues and old mates ringing the bell and such and such. And she's a part of this thing. She too is a young girl living by faith as a part of the family of faith. And then we have... Verse 5, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside her. Okay, problem. We don't know how long this has been going on for, right? Let's just say it's been happening for a month and they've been fine. It's all been working out. All of a sudden, Pharaoh's daughter, now it says comes down, which means she doesn't normally bathe here. She normally bathes somewhere else. And you can read this in Egyptian inscriptions that only uh, sort of the people of the royal family are allowed to bathe in the Nile because it's a god and Pharaoh is a god and so Pharaoh's children and the gods can kind of mix. But for some reason, she has decided to come down to where they are. How are they feeling right in this moment? <laughs> whoa, whoa. Shh, shh, shh. Like I do this to my kids all day, every day. Like, shush, 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 shush. Some of you are like, I don't get it. That's okay. One day you'll have four children and be trying to do an online study unit while they're all home and not at school. I love you, my government. Thank you for those extra two weeks. She's got her entourage and she seized the basket, it says, among the reeds and sent her servant women to go and take it, and when she opened it, she saw. If you know anything about Hebrew writing, when they continually repeat words, they're trying to kind of draw our attention. So Moses' mum is seeing, Moses' sister is seeing, Pharaoh's daughter is now seeing, the child, and behold, the baby was crying, and she defies her father's decree, and she has compassion on the child. And she says, this is one of the Hebrew children. To take pity means to, to have uh, compassion. So unlike her cold-blooded father, she is filled with compassion as any person should be, particularly a woman who has those maternal instincts to see a little child and go, I can't dispose of him. And then I love this. Then his sister says to Pharaoh's daughter, it's kind of weird, right? Oh, I have an idea. Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter says to her, What a wonderful idea. I never thought of such a thing. Yes, go. And so the girl, girl uh, she goes and she calls who? Moses' mum. I love this. And then Pharaoh's daughter says to her, Yes, I don't, 
I don't want to have to do the weaning and all the sort of stuff that goes on in the early, and I'm not sure I can bring him back into the home of dad yet. So, so listen, will, will you look after him? Will you raise him? Now, now, what category is she? She's a slave. Has she been paid for anything in her whole life? Never been paid. Not only will I, will I say, yes, you look after and raise this child who I think is now mine, but I'm also going to pay you. This is what I love about God. God's like, oh, you're against my people? Ha <laughs> ha! I'm going to use all of your grand ideas to not just give them something I want, but to go over and above it. Now I'm going to get your money and it's going to pay. Something she would have, every mum here has never said, oh, well, if I don't get paid, I'm, I'm not going to. You know, I'm not really going to worry about it. It's like, no, we all just do it for free. There's no parent who ever says, you need to pay me to do this job. We do it because we love our children. But heck, if you're going to pay me for something, hey, I'll take it. Right? If you're going to pay me, yeah, I'll take the extra 500 bucks a week. That'd be great. I'll pay for all the food my kids eat. Some more jokes have gone over people's heads. It's all right. One day you will have young people. This is amazing. The Nile should represent death. Pharaoh's daughter should represent death. But no, God is turning it against itself to bring a scenario of life and life preservation. This vulnerable Hebrew boy is in grave danger. Yet not when he's in the hands of God. Not when he's in the ark of God. This theme of the ark comes all the way through to the New Testament and it's the same language where we get the New Testament in Christ. It's the picture of being in the ark. It's a wonderful picture. Some point, we don't know how old, when the child grew older, verse 10, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son and she named him Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. So we don't know how this relationship has gone. How often has she come to see him throughout the the years? But what we do know is that mum's been able to raise this child without any fear and get paid for it. Because God is just that good. And then we get to Moses. How does Moses see? What's Moses' perspective? I love how the Bible just uses like general. One day, when Moses had grown up, (laughs) well, we don't get it here in the story, but Acts 7 tells us he's now 40. Okay, so we're moving fast in the narrative. Narratives move very, very quickly. So now he's grown up, so he's probably, when he was with his mum, he was probably up to maybe the age of 10. So he spent 10 years as a Hebrew, being brought up and taught all about what it means to be a Hebrew and the stories and the covenant of the Hebrews. And now he spent 30 years over here being trained as an Egyptian. And not just an Egyptian, but as royal Egyptian. Because he's an adopted member of the family. And so he's getting the best leadership training induction you could ever have in ancient culture. He's got the best education in the land. He's trained in Egyptian wisdom and powerful speech. So he's trained in debating. He's trained in persuasion. He receives a royal education, including law and administration. So he's got PhDs now. Okay, he's got multiple degrees and he's receiving military training at the hands of the Egyptians. As you're going to see, that's all God's plan because one day he's going to do something and he's going to use all of that information. God never wastes anything in our lives. Never. 
Even the hard, tough stuff, God never wasted. But the, the picture here is like, well, who will he be now that he is growing up? Will he be an Egyptian or will he be a Hebrew? It says that he went out to his people and looked upon their burdens. And now Moses is seeing. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that way and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went on the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he's like, what, what, what are you, like, why are we fighting against each other when we've got the Egyptians? They're bad enough. And he goes in there and they're like, who are you? Who are you to tell us what to do? They answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? Uh-oh. You see, he's now aligning, he's identifying with the Hebrew people, but he's still Egyptian. So he's trying to do God's thing, but he feels a sense of God calling him to be aligned with these people, but he's doing it in an Egyptian way. He's been brought up for 30 years watching, this is how you deal with people. You, you just, you beat them. And in his story, he, he beats them and then actually tries to cover it up. This idea of Moses looking, it's this intentional studying with the desire to act. And it means for weeks and months, this has been going. This is not just one day this all happened. It's day in, day out. He's starting to have this, this tension on the inside of him of like, hang on, I remember, they're my people. And I've been brought up to think this way, but I'm seeing something that is not right. And over some period of time, he's like, I gotta do something about this. Somebody has to act. He has all the worldly leadership skills. He just doesn't know how to do God's work, God's way. And then he says, crap, I'm busted. Surely this thing is known, and it says, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Again, there's a long period of time here. We don't know how long this has taken, but over time, Pharaoh has heard that Moses has sided with the Hebrews. In Egyptian culture, there's a word that starts with T for what that is. Treason. To ever align yourselves with them is to be an enemy of Pharaoh. He doesn't care whether you're family or not family. You have acted in treason. Uh, James Ackerman of Philip Ryken put it this way. It says, in acting to defend the Hebrews, Moses was challenging the basic foundations, social, political, and religious, on which Egyptian society had been established. It is treason for him to side with the slaves. By joining Israel's civil rights movement, he is cutting his ties as an Egyptian and so Pharaoh signs the death warrant and Moses becomes the most wanted man in Egypt. Hebrews 11 puts it this way. Verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. And he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So in here, what we have is this period of Moses wrestling and working it out. And at some point, in some time, at some way, he said, you know what? I am going to live 
for, with, as the people of God and no longer an Egyptian. Do you know how hard a decision that must have been for him? The sacrifice he has to make to live with the people of God. He has to give up all of the prosperity, all of the privilege. And he knows that at, at, at best he'll just be a slave, but at worst he knows what's going to come to him. But it says that he acts in faith and he refuses to be called the Pharaoh's daughter. He says, nah, that is not me. I am going to identify myself and align myself with the people of God. Hey, just a quick question. What do we need to do to align ourselves and identify ourselves with the people of God? What sacrifices do we have to make to follow in the great example of Moses and align ourselves with God's people? There's sacrifices in being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus that are not easy. And it takes faith to say no to that and yes to this. Even today, the act of being in church on a Sunday saying no to the coast, saying no to that sporting event, saying no to that thing and being here is a sacrifice to say, I'm going to meet with God's people on God's day to worship him. This is what the people of God have been doing, not just since Jesus, but 3,000 years before Jesus. They've been seeking by faith to align themselves with God's people. And this is exactly what Moses is doing. He's foregoing the pleasures. He's foregoing his power. He's foregoing his prestige to identify with God's people. And then he goes off to this place called Midian. So he's been a Hebrew 10 years. He's been in Egypt for 30 years, he's 40, and now he flees. And he goes off. Now, the Midianites are basically, they're nomadic people. So they're just moving around. Egypt doesn't really care about them because they're no threat. They kind of, they're there for a while, and they pack up and move. They're there for a while. And it just so happens that he goes out. He finds this place. He sets up his swag. It's near, it's near a well, and he sits there, and he starts to ponder his life. And here's another thing I love about God. Is you can make a royal mess of something. And God will bring around another opportunity for you to make that right. I love this. There have been so many mistakes I've made in my life that have filled me with guilt and shame. And then God will bring around something similar and go, hey, but that was then and I've forgiven that and I've grown you now. So here's an opportunity. Now try and lead my way. Do this with my heart. And this is exactly what we get here. He goes out to this place immediately. He's sitting around this well, and now another bunch of people start coming and abusing another bunch of people. So there are these shepherds that come, and there is this man named Raul, and his daughters are coming to do uh, the, the drawing of water, which they would do every single day. And this has been happening for a while. They keep coming and basically either stealing their water or it's some type of, they're using their power, they're using their strength. And Moses is here, and he's having the same feelings of injustice that he's seen before in Egypt. And God is saying, okay, young fella, I have something that I've planned for you, but you must not just do my work. You must learn how to do my work, my way. And so here's another opportunity. And he does it God's way. He doesn't kill anyone. That's a good start. <laughs> good on you. I, I didn't kill anyone. Oh, that's a great improvement. <laughs> 
But this is God being gracious to this fugitive. And he's starting to act like this deliverer that would come. Who would be strong and powerful, but would lay down his life and become a servant to all. And rather than using power to abuse, he will use his power to stand up against enemies in a way that is sacrificial and serving. And so he lays down his life and he doesn't just protect these women, he serves them. Where has Moses been the past 30 years? Egypt. How many things has he done in his life? Has he washed up dishes ever in his life? No. He's never washed dishes. He's never had anybody that he has to serve. He has servants his whole life. And so again, even here, he's having the servant heart of God being brought up in his life. And he's like, I'm not just going to be a protector and a deliverer. I'm going to be a servant protector, a servant deliverer. And I'm going to serve you. So here, let me do the water. And I'm not just going to do it for you and your family. I'm going to do it for all of your animals. And then they go home and dad's like, whoa, that was quick. What's happened? And they tell him about this guy. And he's like, where's the dude? Get the dude. We need to thank him. And so they bring him in. And eventually, again, time moves fast. We don't know how long it is. But over time, he eventually marries one of, of this man's daughters, has children. And so what we see in this story is that he learnt information. He was taught in his mind with the Hebrew people. This is what it means to be Hebrew. This is what God's like. He goes to Egypt, he learns and gets taught how to use his hands, no longer just his head, but his hands, how to act, how to talk, how to do law, how to do administration, how to do military. And God says, you've got something in your head, you've got something in your hands, but if you do not have my heart, you'll never be able to do my bidding. And so God takes him for another 40 years in the wilderness as a fugitive, and now his heart has been shifting. It is changing. Now he has his own bride and his own children and his own sheep and his own cattle and he is learning how to be the shepherd deliverer that would be needed. So Moses has been rejected by his own people. He's been sought out by the Egyptians and he was homeless. But God gives him a brand new family. In fact, the father of this woman's name it hints at the fact that he's a God-fearer, that he is one of God's followers. And so God is just kind of giving him a little bit of the drip of this is what it means to be my people. And then at the end we see, not only does Moses' mother see, not only does Moses' sister see, not only does Pharaoh's daughter see, not only does Moses start to see, but probably the most important thing you and I need to hear that God sees. 23 says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. So again, period of time here, we don't know how long, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. So Moses is out here in sort of Midian getting developed, and God's growing his character and growing his maturity and growing his humility. And they're over here saying, but what, what good is that for us? Because we're still being enslaved. And they start to cry out to God. And they start to call out to him. And it says, and they cried from their slavery out for help. 
their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And what does it say? God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And God, what? God saw the people of Israel and God knew. The Hebrews have no power. The Hebrews have no prosperity. The Hebrews have no uh, prestige. But what they do have is a prayer. They have a voice which they can cry out to their God and their God is watching, their God is seeing, their God has a plan and their God is acting. As the band come up, I think this is really important for us to know. In chapter one and chapter two, God has been mentioned three times. That's in 80 years, He's getting three little moments, which is to say, he's kind of quiet. God is somewhat hidden. And I know from my own personal experience that when I've gone through difficult times, my question comes is, where is God for me? Because God seems distant. God seems quiet. And I seem alone. And what Moses is trying to draw out through this story is like you are never alone. As quiet as God seems, he is orchestrating and speaking things into being that you don't even know of. As distant as he seems, he's so present right there over everything, looking, watching, listening. When God seems the most hidden, he is not hidden. When God seems the most absent, He is not. He is working and he sees you. Now we need eyes of faith to see that because he appears hidden, he appears absent, and he appears silent. But God gifts us this gift of faith so that we can see and go, you know what, this is hard right now. I'm going through this right now, but here's what I see. Here's my perspective. Here's what I know. God is with me. I feel anxious. God is with me. I feel depressed. God is with me. I don't know about my job. God is with me. I don't know about my marriage. God is with me. I don't know about all of these things. God is with you. This is the great promise that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he will never leave us. And that is ultimately proven because he sends his son. And God comes to us in flesh and says, I will be your grand deliverer and I will sacrifice and give up my life for ransom for many so that you may know me and walk with me and have the confidence, the trust, the belief that no matter where you are, God is there. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.